This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Trojan fans. It's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. We're going to talk some USC football previewing, the traditional, the, the heartfelt signing day, national letter of intent day, usually the first Wednesday of every February. It used to be such a big deal, a little bit of an afterthought now with the early signing period, plus the NCAA transfer portal. That portal's closed until May for new entries, but there's still some top prospects in there and there's still some top prospects that haven't signed yet so we're going to preview that and where the trojans rank with their high school recruitings with their transfer rankings all of that according to 24 7 sports we're going to talk about that with the coach harvey hyde you can follow him on twitter at coach harvey hyde or go to his website harveyhyde.com for all of his content if you have any questions or comments for the show we got a bunch of emails to get to feel free to email us podcast at uscfootball.com you can also call or text us at 424-254-9141. And if you have the Apple Podcasting app, please follow us and leave us a five-star rating and review. Any comments, feedback, suggestions you have, it does help to grow the show. And you got a big question there over on uh, on our review on the Apple Podcast, we'll bump you right up to the top of the list. So we appreciate that. And if you're not a subscriber to uscfootball.com, that's our parent company. That's the mothership. That's what we do all this. uscfootball.com, I created it way back in 1996. Uh, we are offering a one-day flash sale today on Monday. So if you listen to this on Monday, 75% off an annual subscription. Jump in there right now, pre-signing day. So it's a great deal. Make sure you get in there and do it right away. Uh, National Signing Day flash sale, 75% off. All right. We're going to bring in the coach right now, Coach Harvey Hyde. Welcome to the show. Coach, how you doing, man? Ryan, thank you very much. I tell you, the timing is absolutely fantastic. Why? Recruiting is the name of the game. I used to love to recruit. That's one thing as a head coach I love to do. I like to go out there, evaluate the talent, make my tour, talk to everybody out on there, the families, the principals, the coaches, go even to schools where where we weren't even recruiting a player because someday they might have a player and they wanted to make sure, I wanted to make sure they knew that we came by to say hello when they didn't have a player. So remember us when we come by when you have a player. So recruiting's the name of the game. It's the foundation. It's the piece of steel in the foundation. So let's get started and talk about something I love to talk about. We got to talk about recruiting, and it's changed. The game has definitely changed. Like I mentioned, the early signing period, the majority of the players sign during that early signing period. So I'll give you kind of an update of where USC is now. Um, a lot of the, they have 20 high school players, uh, on the commit list and, you know, guys mostly had signed back in February. There's also transfers and, you know, 24 seven sports will rank your transfers. It'll rank your, your transfer class. It'll rank your high school class and then do a kind of a combination, uh, of all of those. And there's still a couple, uh, highly thought of high school prospects that haven't signed that I actually got to see live and in person out in Hawaii for the Polynesian Bowl. And so I'm going to give you the update on those. But let me tell you where the team is right now, Coach, and I'm going to get your thoughts. Uh, for the high school class, 2023, USC's ranked number 15 uh, with 20 prospects. And uh, the interesting, and you know, I'll talk about like where they could be if they sign a couple more, but uh, it's number two in the Pac-10, Pac-12, sorry, behind number 10, Oregon. So Oregon has the top high school class as of right now in the Pac-12. 
uh, heading into signing day, which is on Wednesday. It's February 1st. That's the first Wednesday in February. It's the first day you can sign a national letter of intent. Um, and there are, like I mentioned, there's a couple prospects that are scheduled to sign on that day. If you look at the transfer class, USC is all the way up to number five. And if you remember last year, had the top class. It was amazing that they brought in all those guys. Not as many transfers, but they still bring in 12. Uh, so it's less than they did last year. But for the 2023 cycle, they brought in 12 transfer commits. And that ranks USC number five in the transfer class for 2023. Still some guys on the radar that they could go after. Um, but they're also number two in the Pac-12 for the transfer class because Colorado has number four overall, so one spot above USC, and that's bringing in 23 transfers. So uh, Coach Prime over there, uh, he's brought in, I think, over 40 players. So they've turned over half the roster at Colorado. And if you combine the rankings, USC uh, with high school and transfers combined comes in at number eight nationally, so top 10 class. And it's number one in the Pac-12. Uh, Oregon is the closest. They're still at number 10. Um, and Colorado is 21st. UCLA is 24th. And Utah is 25th. Those are the only other Pac-12 schools in the top 25. So look at the combined class. Uh, USC being up uh, number eight. Pretty impressive. Uh, but number two in the Pac-12 for high school players coming in. And then number two in the Pac-12 and transfers coming in. So, Coach, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. Like kind of where USC sits nationally and any thoughts on the class well you always uh, want to be in the top 10 and it's what you do with these players and how these players mature and how you forecast them and how they fit into your program and if they mature and become great players because you got to get players and you think and hope they get better as time goes by they get better in practice uh, they grow up they get stronger they get faster and you put them at a place where they can win so uh, you hope that you uh, selected the the right players. Sometimes it isn't always the number one class that has the best success with their players. It's the players that grow up and the players that mature and become great players. A lot of players that are ranked a five-star player have already matured and they really don't get any better. And I've had those type of players before. They're just ahead of their age group. They're 18 years old, but they're matured and they play like a 20-year-old in high school. So, you know, you've got to look at the players and how they mature and so on. But I think a, a number eight overall is, is a great place to be for the Trojans. I think it's a nice combination of 20 high school signees. I think that gives you a good foundation with 12 portal players or transfer players where you get older players. That would be in the old days like community college players. That would be a lot of community college players, 12. But the portal now, get uh, bringing in juniors and seniors, guys that can play immediately normally, and you hope are guys that can come in and give you immediate help. You never want to bring a portal player unless that individual is going to step in and assist you in some way. If he doesn't, he's taking the spot of a freshman you're bringing in. He's getting the freshman's turns, and then he'll never turn out to be a player. So you can't make a mistake on a portal player. You just can't do it. That portal player has got to come in and contribute immediately. So nationally, eighth, uh, number one in the Pac-12, and you always hear me say, uh, it's recruiting, it's the name of the game. You just hope that the players you brought in, you could be ranked number one in the Pac-12, but are they at the correct position to make you a better football team for this coming season? Yeah, coach, that's the that's the game. And uh, when we got to talk to Lincoln Riley a few weeks ago, I think a lot of it, you know, what he was talking about was when you were bringing in Guys, last year, they really were trying to bring in bodies and fill some holes where there was, uh, you know, there were just gaps. They needed people. They needed, you know, what maybe it wasn't the starter like you were talking about that you bring a portal guy in and he's really more of a depth guy. And I feel like this time around, you're bringing in fewer transfers, but all these guys you're expecting to be contributors. And I feel like now it's more you're adding, uh, it's not just adding depth, but you're adding pieces that can make your whole team better. So uh, it's curious. I think even next year you'll see the transfer numbers probably drop off a little bit. I mean, the transfer portal is here to stay, but I feel like uh, Lincoln Riley would love to build this class, uh, build the roster through high school recruiting and, you know, bringing in a bunch of offensive linemen and bringing in some stars like Malachi Nelson, the five-star uh, quarterback and uh, 
Makai Lemon, uh, you know, his he's a four-star, you know, receiver and Zachariah Branch, the five-star receiver from Bishop Gorman. Uh, there's you know, building in a bunch of offensive linemen and defensive linemen, bringing guys in that can, you know, definitely contribute at a high level and and do so down the road. I think I think that's what he wants this team to, how he wants this team to be built. But coming in and trying to win right away to win 11 games after going four and eight, you weren't going to do that by just recruiting high school. You had to bring in a bunch of guys. And uh, for the second year in a row, they're doing that. Not as many in 2023 as they did last year, but um, still bringing in some guys that they think can, can help out right away. Well, they are. And remember 11 and three is something that if uh, you said that at the beginning of the season, you'd say, we'll take it. And again, when you say 11 and three next year, you say probably we'll take it because their schedule is going to be more difficult. Other teams are going to be more prepared. And uh, again, uh, when you have the schedule you have and everybody gets ready to play you, you, you know, you've got to be more prepared and have better players also, but they're going to have better players. There've been some coaching changes in the PAC 12 at Sanford and Arizona state. Arizona's a better football team. Utah's always going to be physical and good. Uh, Washington now it's really a good football team. So, you know, uh, Oregon State, you know, you don't play them, but, man, they'll, they'll beat you any day. So uh, you've got to continue to grow. You've got to continue to get better because everybody's coming after USC. Everybody's, and they're jealous of USC. And now with USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12, it's even more important for them to have a great season against both teams, USC and UCLA. Why? so that they can recruit against them when they're in the other conference. So you've got to be able to improve. And as you said, you've got to get away from the portal players, build from the bottom, let it come up, and that way you have a great foundation. So every year all you need is just a few receivers or a few offensive linemen or maybe four or five portal players because you bring in them bring them in specifically for key positions and you know they're great players yeah well let's let's talk about because we're previewing signing day that's where usc is right now and the two biggest names out there are you know two of the highly two of the highest ranked uncommitted prospects in the country uh honestly one is a local uh gardena california uh sarah high school you remember sarah a lot of usc trojans have come from sarah like robert woods and adore jackson and guys like that marquise lee Four-star cornerback, Roderick Pleasant, uh, speedster, uh, track guy. I uh, got to see him out in the Polynesian Bowl um, in uh, in Hawaii. Very close with Zachariah Branch. They were talking a lot. I actually had Zachariah Branch, the USC signee, interview Roderick Pleasant uh, on camera, and it was a lot of fun. He is going to announce uh, at his high school, Sarah High School, 10.30 a.m. on Wednesday. Uh, so, like I said, I got to see him out there. Uh, he did take an official visit to USC before uh, he left uh, to go to Hawaii. He's very close with uh, Dante Williams, USC's defensive back coach. Um, so a lot of talk there about USC being the favorite. He put out a tweet of a top five. He had Boston College in there. He had uh, Oregon, UCLA, Cal, and uh, USC. I think USC is the favorite. If you had to just um, put it down like where you think he's going to go, I think it's very likely that they add Roderick Pleasant uh, on Wednesday, but uh, some real some help with the secondary coach. I don't know if you got to see much of his tape or anything, but he would be a big get uh, for the Trojans on Wednesday. Whenever you get a guy that can step in and help you immediately and is a speedster, I mean, speed, you can't replace speed. Speed is the name of the game. If you want the teams play in the NFL, speed is the name of the game. Speed is the name of the game. And the college football, wherever it is, you can't. Where the bigger, the faster you are, the better team you have, and the better football player you have. Because uh, you can play man, and you can take somebody right out of the game because your defensive back can run with these great receivers and big receivers that are out there. So they're key. They are absolutely key for the type of defense that you can run. So I think Pleasant is a key recruit for USC. And again, uh, you know, you never know. These guys can fool you. They'll tell me the night before they're coming, and the next day when I call them up and I look for the national letter of intent, well, coach, I was, but then at the last moment, my mom told me that it's better for me to get away. So you never know. You never know. Even if they told you they were coming, it isn't done till it's done. 
Yeah, even signing doesn't mean you're done. <laughs> so like, I mean, they, yeah, like nowadays people get out of their letter of intent and things like that. But yes, uh, but I would say if you're handicapping this one, the odds are pretty good he ends up at USC. The next one, uh, and this is a five-star prospect uh, from Phoenix, Arizona, Pinnacle High School. He They list him as a tight end, but he's really like a 6'6", you know, kind of one of those hybrid guys that lines up in the slot. Uh, Deuce Robinson. So I also got to see him in Hawaii. He missed the first day of practice, so he came a couple days later than the other guys. I think it was – he had a baseball tryout, I believe, or a, like a baseball uh, event. He could go pro in baseball or football. Um, he's also going to let his choice be known on uh, signing day on Wednesday. Just watching him, he's like a matchup nightmare kind of guy, just so big, um, great hands, and he's just a – you know, he's a five-star – for a reason, the buzz in Hawaii, Coach, when we saw him out there, was a lot of people felt he was going to go to Georgia. Now, Georgia uses the tight ends well, um, but they've also recruited a bunch of tight ends, and they have good tight ends already. But they, you know, the, the people I were talking to close to him still gave USC a, a pretty good shot. And uh, Blair Angulo for 24-7 Sports did an update recently. I think Georgia and USC are probably the top two, but there's also Texas, there's Alabama, Oregon has, has got in on it. So there's a lot of uncertainty. And uh, one of the source told Blair that, you know, uh, it's, he's not sure. So he's just not sure. He might not even sign. But the that's what the thought is right now uh, on him. He's, uh, you know, as far as like, we, we've, we haven't seen USC utilize the tight ends. But having a guy like Deuce Robinson in there, I don't know how you wouldn't use him. Six foot six, 225 pounds. Um but, yeah, any thoughts on uh, Deuce Robinson, Coach? Absolutely. I'll tell you, you can't have a great offensive football team without a great tight end. I've told you that all along. If you watch the NFL games, teams that are in the finals or going to the Super Bowl, what do they have? Great tight ends. you got to utilize them, both as a blocker and a receiver. Uh, you've got to have a guy that the defense uh, has to respect because and the mismatches are unbelievable. I think the advantages here in the recruiting is SC convincing him that they are going to utilize their tight end more than just a blocker. They're going to create the mismatches. They're going to play him in the game. They're going to use him over the middle. They're going to use him against zone defense, especially where you throw the ball up high. And if you're if they're playing man defense, then they're going to have to go through him and uh, cause pass interferences to be able to catch the football, especially if he can run. So I just think that that's the number one thing that USC has to do to get this kid is convince him that they're going to use the tight end, convince him, because Georgia doesn't have to convince him because they're using the tight end. They're using the tight end, and he knows that if he goes to Georgia, it's part of their offense. They use double tight a lot. A lot of these teams are using double tight a lot. So you've got to be able to fight that to be able to get this kid. So a lot of these kids say, you're telling me this, but are you going to do this? So I think the number one thing that USC has to do is convince this kid that they are going to go to the tight end, they are going to use the tight end, and the kid has to believe you for you to be able to get him because other schools that you are talking about utilize their tight end. So, again, that's what you're fighting. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, we'll see. So I don't even think we're having a press conference on signing day because there's not expected to be a whole lot of uh, action. There might be a kicker or something. Uh, we'll see. But uh, the two main guys that you need to look out for, uh, Roderick Pleasant, Deuce Robinson, and Deuce Robinson might not even wait, so we'll we'll see what happens there. But just getting a uh, uh, you know a, a Roderick Pleasant would be huge. Um, you know, adding a you know you need those defensive pieces, and uh, getting someone like that, highly ranked West Coast local kid, uh, would be great. Uh, there's also uh, you know according to John Wilner and other people that were tweeting about it, the Pac-12 presidents, athletic directors, and conference executives are meeting in Tempe, Arizona today on Monday. So there's a lot of stuff going on in the Pac-12, and it's interesting right now, Coach, because there's the day-to-day -day stuff and things that will affect uh, USC and UCLA, who are going to be part of this conference until the summer, or you know, the was July 1st, I guess, 2023, 2024. But if it's any talk about future deals, um, then you know, like Mike Bone wouldn't be in the meeting uh, for those kind for those parts of the meeting. So they have to kind of separate it out. If you're talking about the new TV rights, you know, the grant of rights, uh, you know, deals, any of that, like grant of rights for 
uh, the schools that were sticking around, conference expansion, uh, the new media rights deals. USC and UCLA wouldn't be part of any of that. But um, I've seen reports uh, out of Utah, one of the guys I go on their radio with, that they were saying that ESPN and Amazon were working on a deal that would be about $25 million per year per school. And it would have, so ESPN and Amazon doing the tier one rights. Um, and it would be a seven-year deal. But he said they were reporting that some of the schools like Oregon, Washington, Arizona State, and Arizona haven't ratified it yet. I'm curious what goes on. And I know some USC fans don't care because USC is leaving the Pac-12. But there's this juggling act that George Klyovkov, the commissioner, has to do where you want those, you want that grant of rights, right? You want, um, or the, was it, yeah, the them to sign a deal that you would stick, you know, keep your media in the Pac-12 conference and maybe getting that before you looking at expanding, signing a media rights deal, and then trying to add to that by bringing in a San Diego State or whoever it is. But it's an interesting time right now for the Pac-12. And they had that scandal. We, we talked about it last week a little bit. Um that uh, that USC was, I mean USC, that the Pac-12 was getting overpaid by Comcast for what I, I believe, like the last seven or eight years, uh, five million dollars a year. They were getting like fifty million dollars extra from Comcast that they shouldn't have been getting. Didn't say anything about it. So there's all these weird things going on in the Pac-12 outside of USC and UCLA leaving. I'm curious, any thoughts on the Pac-12 going forward? signing a deal where maybe a, a streaming service like Amazon is part of their tier one rights and all of that. Cause it, it looks like in the next few months, we're going to know some stuff, but it's a, uh, it's a, it's a precarious time for the PAC 12 going forward. It uh, really is because the face of the program, the Trojans from USC, they're leaving and they know it's certainly going to make them stronger as far as national recruiting and image wise and the whole package. When every weekend UCLA or USC are going to have an Iowa in the Rose Bowl or a Michigan State in the Coliseum and all the publicity is going to be towards that, especially at the beginning of the contracts and television times and broadcasts and a national broadcast. And the Pac-12 is going to have to compete against that because they're going to have to compete against them in recruiting. And it's definitely going to make a difference. It's going to bring people from the East and the Midwest to Southern California, and it's going to make it a whole different scene. So they've got to compete by being able to get on television and get the exposure and develop who is a new kid on the block. If Oregon stays in the Pac-12, it'll probably be Oregon and Washington. Uh, I would assume. I know you, Stanford wants to get there. Utah, of course, has a great record of what they're doing. Uh, I don't know if they're going to keep that that group in uh, intact or who they're going to bring in. As far as I know, Fresno State would be interested in coming in. And I know that uh, San Diego State would be interested in coming in because of the additional revenues that's there. But who knows what's really happening and who knows exactly what effect those type of TV streaming uh, type of television deals, except for financially, will do for you exposure-wise? Has there been enough? Am I going to stream myself uh, a Pac-12 game? I don't know. When I have a choice on all the national networks and all the other, you know, ESPN, Fox, and so on, CBS, am I going to go to that trouble? I don't know. That's what you have to weigh. Now, financially, it's very important for the Pac-12, but also the number one thing they're going to need, I think, is additional exposure. Because they're losing the two programs, except for a couple of the programs in the North, that bring them the exposure that they need. And will Fresno bring them the exposure? I don't know. Small community, not a lot of people live in there. Who knows? San Diego State, I don't know. If it will bring them a lot of exposure, maybe it will. And who else out there can they go after? So, you know, that's my feeling. Uh, you got to look. Are you going to get the exposure that SC and UCLA brought to the Pac-12? You know, playing in the Rose Bowl is a big thing in recruiting when kids come down and teams come down to play UCLA in the Rose Bowl. They're not going to have that anymore. Playing USC in the Coliseum, a lot of these kids are from Southern California. They're not going to have that anymore unless those two schools are going to play those teams in non-conference games. So there's going to be a lot of juggling around, and they're going to have to make these decisions. That's why they pay them the big bucks. Yeah. They're definitely paying the big bucks, and I'm curious to see um, you know, where the Pac-12 goes from here 
can you get a better deal than the Big 12? Um, is it going to be a shorter deal? Right now, the Pac-12 sort of like doesn't have any, there's no rush because the Big 12 put something out there. You know, the SEC has a deal. The ACC has a long deal, terrible deal, but it's a long deal. And the Big 10 just had their deal. So some people think there's not a rush for the Pac-12 to do something, but other people are like, you need to make some sort of splash here uh, sort of going forward. But with USC and UCLA, you know, it's it's set. It's it's 2024 going forward. We still don't know about Oklahoma and Texas. They could go out early. We will see new teams in the Big 12 this year that actually impacted USC because BYU is one of those teams, and that's why B, that's why USC couldn't play BYU in Week 13. And they had a bye week in Week 13, and they were going to play 12 straight weeks, and then they moved the San Jose State game to Week 0. So now they have a, a three-game stretch, a bye, and then a nine-game stretch, and then another bye going into uh, Pac-12 uh, championship game. We didn't get to talk to you about that at all, Coach. Any thoughts on that? But that was USC's schedule. Just you know, I can recap it real quick. Just like I said, because BYU left and isn't in the isn't independent anymore. They didn't leave. They joined the Big Twelve. They don't need to schedule like two years ago. They scheduled five Pac-12 teams. Well, that's hard for them to do. It's a great opportunity to schedule BYU when you have to play in odd years when you're playing Notre Dame on the road. Can give you a home game later in the season when you can't have one because of all the Pac-12 rivalry games, when that BYU game went away, it kind of put USC in a tough spot, and they were going to play 12 straight weeks, so no bye week from week one to week 12, and then you have a bye week in week 13. That's happened before. Remember 2017, USC ended up winning the Pac-12 conference. If you make it to the conference championship game, you get a little advantage because you have a bye week before the championship game, but you have to play 12 straight weeks, and that makes it more difficult. USC worked with the Pac-12, they moved the San Jose State game from week three to week zero. So you get to play week zero, week one, and week two. Then you get a bye, and then you play nine straight weeks before another bye before the Pac-12 championship game if you make it. It's a really tough stretch at the end of the season. Uh, a lot of tough games, Oregon, Washington, Notre Dame, like all those uh, in the second half of the season. But if you can get through that, you will have a bye. And like a team like Washington plays on Saturday – and the Pac-12 in week 13 and the Pac-12 championship games on Friday. USC would have a whole week off ahead of that. So it would say USC and Washington play the Pac-12 championship game. Washington would have a six, you know, six days and USC would have 13. So a little bit of advantage there. So I didn't get to get your thoughts on this before, Coach, but any thoughts on the way the schedule worked out for 2023, the last year for USC in the Pac-12? Well, there's advantages and disadvantages. First of all, when you start zero week with your schedule, you get another extra week of practice that other schools don't get, okay? You get started earlier. So you get an extra week of practice when other uh, schools or universities you're going to be playing aren't practicing, unless they have a zero-week game. And then you have your two non-league games, and you have Stanford, then you have a bye. Now, in some type of situations, you need to have a bye at that time to evaluate your personnel and correct what's going on or what's not right and heal up if necessary. It's not all bad. It's not all bad. Then you get back into it. You go down through the schedule, and, and uh, you know, you've got some tough games in there, and that's the way it goes. But you can't talk about that. You hear, you hear coaches talk all the time about uh, the, the biggest game of the year is the one we're playing today. And I think that's the way you have to do it no matter who you're playing today, but there's so much parity in college football, in the NFL, on any level, there's parity. You see people beating anybody, and you say, wow, how did that happen? So you got to take everybody serious, and you got to go down, and uh, what they give you is what you got. And if you have a bye there at the end of the year, then you take advantage of that, you heal up. I didn't like buys at the end of the year because you've got great momentum going if you've been winning and so on, and it throws your whole timing off. As far as, you know, the practices, what you're doing, and, and the timing, and all of the above. And uh, I know that uh, the other team would have uh, less time to practice, but they'd be ready to play, and their timing's ready to go, and uh, they don't have time to go home on the weekend and have three days of practice the week before, and all those things. You, you break up your rhythm, you break up your continuity of what you've been doing, but hey, like I said, what they give you is what you got. So if you're Lincoln Riley, you say, hey, guys, this is what we've been dealt. This is our hand. Let's don't talk about it anymore. It's distracting. Let's get after it. Yeah, that makes more. You don't have to be a distraction 
Um, so they, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, all right. Well, let's, uh, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back. We got some questions to get to. So we'll come back in a minute. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back here on the Parastyle Podcast. We uh, So my little iPad that I do all of my, this is the, how the sausage is made. Um, I have a little iPad that I put up, uh, use all for my sound effects and voicemails and things. I need to get a new one, so I'm in the process of doing that. So um, I won't be able to play. We had a voicemail today from Curtis. Sorry, Curtis, I won't be able to play it, but I wanted to give you the general thoughts of what he was saying. He said, um, USC... A lot of talk on the defensive side about missed tackles, and he felt it was a product of the defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, really focusing on trying to strip the ball. So you're doing like these one-arm tackles instead of really just securing the ball carrier. He said that Grinch really focuses on turnovers, and I, I think one of the quotes Grinch had was that you can win nine games if you get 18 turnovers on the year, really no matter how good the offense is or not. Um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on that, Coach. Do you feel like – the missed tackle issue is more about USC's trying to strip the ball all the time. Is it something else? What were your thoughts on that? Well, I, I don't know what they teach as far as uh, tackling. Uh, if they teach stripping the ball first or tackling somebody first. First of all, I would teach uh, tackling somebody first. And then, of course, if you have an opportunity to knock the ball loose or grab the ball, the secondary people coming in, I think that's always great to do, too, if you've got the guy tackled. But let's don't uh, try to strip the football and miss the tackle. That's, that doesn't make sense to me at all. And uh, most ball carriers, receivers and backs, got the extra yard, but you saw that happening. I think a lot of it has to do with uh, going full speed and learning how to tackle in the open field live when people are going to put a move on you and when you don't know if it's a run or pass and settling up and not over-pursuing the play all the things that are technique-wise that you try to teach by walking through it, but you don't do it live and get off of a blocker that's blocking you, whether it's a, a receiver or a guard or a tackle, you got to get off the block and you got to make the tackle. You got to scrape your hole. Got to keep your head up. You got to wrap. Got to wrap up. You can't arm tackle. And I saw a lot of arm tackling, not trying to strip the football but a lot of arm tackling and not wrapping up, and the guy would run through the tackle, but you weren't actually putting your shoulder into the guy to knock him to the ground. You've got to be more violent, I would say, without sparing, more violent on your approach of tackling and the teaching of tackling. And I think that's something that uh, I don't know how they teach it. I'm not there because they're closed practices. But from what I saw, I think that that, that was the biggest thing that I noticed why they're missing tackles is I don't think they're wrapping up. I don't think they're getting off their blocks. I don't think they're getting in the right position with their shoulders square to the line of scrimmage, stepping into the hole where they're supposed to be and be ready to uh, tackle somebody. That's what I see as far as on the inside and the secondary side. Uh, that's exactly what I see there. I don't see them getting off the block. I don't see them holding on. We used to say, Hold on till the till everybody rules get there, and if you hold on, the rules come in and do the finish of the job. So you know uh, the main thing is stop the yardage, not strip the football. Yes, strip the football, but stop the person with the football and don't allow the extra yards. Don't miss a tackle. Yeah, that's the important part. 
We got a text message uh, from Ryan. I like your name, Ryan. He says, I'll admit my first knee-jerk reaction was to fire Grinch. And here we go again with the caring primarily about just the offensive side of the ball. But can we just please remember how much progress this season was and how thrilled we were the hiring of one of the names uh, nation's brightest young head coaches, Lincoln Riley. Let's trust him to do his job in remaking USC into an elite college program. Despite all the success Riley's had, he's still just 40 years young. He's actually only 39, by the way. Uh, he's only go, He'll be 40 in September, I believe. He's only going to get better and better in his evolution. It'll remind us all that at 40, Nick Saban had a one-year of head coaching tenure at Toledo and was just getting going as uh, Bill Belichick's defensive coordinator with the Cleveland Browns. The best is yet to come, and Riley, we trust, from Ryan. Well, uh, I, I think he makes sense of what he's saying. Can you think, uh, imagine somebody 39 years old having all the success he's had, being the head coach at Oklahoma, going to all the bowl games he went to, and all the players that you watch play on Sunday that are especially quarterbacks and the rest of the positions they play, then come to USC, one of the top programs in the country, and be a head football coach there. So I would say at 39 years old, he's accomplished a lot. I think that uh, he will continue to accomplish a lot. He'll learn more about the USC West Coast recruiting and become more familiar with West Coast coaches, which I think that are very important. You can't just always recruit the Midwest in areas that they know who you are. They've got to be able to be familiar with your head coach and your staff here in Southern California and other parts of the state of California. And I think and I hope that he makes that effort. Like I was saying earlier, if you go by schools that maybe just uh, stop by and say hi, you speak at banquets uh, for high school uh, high schools and you get your staff out in the community, all of a sudden you have a presence. Because right now I think an introduction to Lincoln Riley in Southern California, not only with him, but with his staff, since the majority of his staff is not from Southern California, is to make a big effort to get out to the local people, the local people at banquets, speaking at service clubs, doing all of these things so people become aware of who you are and know you're a good guy. So they want to help you, especially the high school coaches and so on, who have so much to say about where these kids go. Yeah. All right, uh, let's see. Let's go to, um, where is it? Oh, it said, hey, Ryan, I have two questions for Coach. Followed the program since 1980. I have two degrees from SC and was in the band for four years, so I'm thoroughly a fan. Not sure if I've ever seen such a hapless defense, even under Helton, which is quite a statement. But his questions are, one, how much of the problems are talent versus scheme slash coaching? And, yeah, should I mean um, – he said, it, it, so the, the question is, do you, much, do you think it's more talent or do you think it's scheme and coaching? And he thinks it'd be a terrible waste for Caleb's last year if they have a bad defense again. Well, I'd agree. Uh, I mean, you can't have back-to-back -back bad years, especially the type of year they had, because uh, then everybody's on the case. Hey, it's the same old thing. Nothing's changed. You didn't make a change. You know, you can't have that. You've got to be better. Because people are looking at that more than they are anything else. The number one thing that needs to be improved on the defensive side of the football is the entire defense. It's not just one portion of it. It's the, higher de the entire defense, from linebackers, defensive front, secondary, the way they play, the whole thing, giving up big plays, missing tackles. We go through it all. So, uh, But they played hard. And that's one thing I said the entire season. They played hard. So it's a combination, as I said, from day one after they played Rice. I said, personnel-wise, they're down when Rice ran right through them. That's not supposed to happen. So we know that personnel-wise, they were down. They misevaluated, or they couldn't get the players that were necessary to slow down people. Tackling technique-wise, they didn't play that well. So it's a combination of they tried to teach it, maybe, but maybe the players weren't able to adapt to it because they weren't athletic enough. So you look at the whole it, entire package of something rather than individuals. So now, again, it's going to rely, I think, more on the portal and who they bring in and how good this kid is for Purdue and Purdue and the kid that came from Texas A&M and, and all these kids that have come in to, to try to fill the, 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 the positions that need to be uh, filled 
So the only way you're going to know if it's going to be better, you know the schemes. I don't think they're going to change the schemes, but that's what you know. That's what you run. But I think you got to find out if these guys can adapt and run your scheme and they're better athletes to be able to play and uh, uh, make it happen. And uh, right now, uh, who knows until you see them on the field, and we won't see them on the field till the spring game. Yeah, so we'll, yeah, we'll see that. Um, we'll, I'll get to watch a little bit of practice probably at the beginning, but not really uh, full on until the spring game. And the spring game was fun. I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they do this year, spring game wise. But uh, yeah, see if there's any you know what's changing, uh, what's out there. Uh, Bob in Manhattan Beach wrote in he said just listen to your last show another great one i agree with most of what you discussed in the show however no one seemed to mention anything about the relationship between the coaches and the players from my point of view the coaches want to be best buddies with the players there's no player coach respect on the team at all i wouldn't i don't i wouldn't agree with that but he said if the coaches are are coaching the players on where to play in their positions it's not happening on the field and why is it when the tv camera is on Caleb Williams. He's never up on the sidelines cheering on the defense. He's always on the bench looking at his replays or watching the game on the big screen. The TV never shows him encouraging his teammates. When a player makes a tackle or a catch, they all seem to say, look at me. And I'm the greatest player on the team. I just made a tackle or a catch. Son, that's your job. There are no names on the back of those jerseys. This is a football team. You're not bowling or playing blackjack. It takes an offensive, defense, and special teams to win football games. And there's still no discipline on this team. No accountability. Every player seems to be playing for themselves, not for the team. And if Carol Fult and uh, Mike Bone are satisfied with 11-3 or 10-2 without any championships for the next 10 years, we'll be known as the 90s Buffalo Bills, never winning any of the big ones. Just paper tigers. Thanks, fight on, Bob MB. Holy cow, Bob. That's uh, Bob's very, very old school for sure. But, man, to not to go from 4-8 to 11-3 and not give this team any credit, I and say, I, I feel like this is a. They were a very good team. That they did have really good team chemistry. I so I would disagree with a lot of this, coach. But I don't know what do you think. Well, Bob Bob's got some points, and uh, I think that he, uh, you know, is maybe a little extreme at some of them. But he's saying of how he feels, and again, that's his opinion, and we have our opinion, so we have to respect it. I mean, I know I can tell Bob's been a coach. I can tell he's played it played sports because he's been a part of a program that was required to do certain things and he doesn't see the same type of discipline or the same type of things that that uh, that he played under or coached under and I can understand when he sees Caleb sitting on the on the bench uh, looking at the screen or uh, coach uh, Lincoln Riley sitting next to him uh, trying to console him or talking about things that means two-thirds of the offense and the special teams are not being watched by the head coach or being a part of it with the, the quarterback. I understand all that, and I understand what he's looking at, and sometimes I'm very critical, too, as far as the way the uh, sidelines are, are managed, and yet that's my way of looking. I wouldn't have the sidelines managed that way with people in there that I don't even know what they're doing in there or who they are. As far as getting in people's way and talking to players and distracting them from the game, uh, I just don't understand that. And but that's again, Lincoln Riley doesn't bother him, so it shouldn't bother me. But it bothers me because as an old coach, I used to know what I wanted. I didn't want anybody on the sideline that wasn't playing in the game or ready to play in the game. Okay, and if you're a coach or somebody from another sport or recruiting coordinator or whatever, don't be on my sideline, be in the stands recruiting somebody or playing PR. You don't need to be on the field. And I don't need to have people running up and down the sideline, getting it away or knocking me over or whatever it is. I need to have my people focusing, not waving towels, getting ready to play a football game. Now, that's me. I'm old school, too. But Lincoln Riley doesn't bother him. So if it doesn't bother him, if the kids wear different color socks, and they do this, and they do that, which formed a little bit of individuality, if it doesn't bother him, and it doesn't bother Mike Bone, the athletic director who's in charge of the uniforms and everything people wear overall wise in the athletic department, then they're the boss. So what can I do about it? Nothing. So why should I talk about it? I can't because that's my opinion. And Bob, you deserve to have an opinion. And if that is your opinion, then uh, go with it. Yeah, you know, I'm not, whatever Caleb Williams do on the sideline, if it's going to help him the team score more points by him looking at an iPad and figuring out what's going on, 
for his next drive out there. I'd rather have him do that than just cheering the defense, you know, like other people can cheer the defense. I want my quarterback to do what he needs to do to score the next time he gets the ball. I th- the biggest issue I would have is discipline and accountability. I mean, those things went up significantly. Like accountability was the buzzword everyone used when Lincoln Riley took over. You talked to every player, every coach. I mean, that's changed. Like you, you couldn't get, I mean, the, I'm not saying the discipline and accountability is like the best in the country, but oh my God, it's so much better than it was before. And that's something that they had focused on. So to just kind of nonchalantly say there's no discipline or accountability, I, that didn't, I, I'm not going to let Bob slide on that one, coach. Well, I, I tell you what, uh, I agree with you on accountability. I agree 100%. And I look at Lincoln Riley and I know exactly how he plays, uh, thinks. You bring your game. You do what the things are that are necessary for you to be a better person. Act like a Trojan. Study like a Trojan. Play like a Trojan. And you're okay with me. Be on time to everything. Uh, be, be a teammate. Do what it takes. And don't get in trouble. Do the things that don't embarrass our teams. You never get a second chance at a first impression. Show up and what will decide everything is the win and, win and loss record. So that's what our number one goal is and our graduation rate, okay? I can understand that 100%. Accountability, completely, Ryan, completely better than it ever was before. That's I'll agree 100%. Yeah. All right. We got a couple more. Dave wrote in about the lack of the tight end use. He says, with the quantity and quality of wide receivers at USC, I believe that the tight end could absolutely feast on underneath routes and occasional deep routes. My theory is, uh, much like with the run game at times, I honestly don't think that Coach Riley has the patience to chip away with the tight end. Uh, It's all about the deep ball if available and scoring as fast as possible. I'm not knocking Coach Riley because obviously he knows how to score points, but unless things drastically change, in favor of the tight end. I'd be surprised if he ever gets very many highly rated tight ends to commit. There'll be games where the wide receivers may struggle, like Oregon State this past year. And passing the tight end could be the source uh, to get the wideouts going as the defensive uh, the defense needs to adjust. I guess I don't understand how you could basically ignore such a valuable offensive tool that could go round uh, could go round out USC's offense into being even more balanced and lethal. If either of you guys were the father of a four and five star high school tight end, would you push him to USC? Your thoughts? Keep up the the great work uh, from Dave. And to be fair, like we've seen, you know, was it Mark Mark Edwards, like the Baltimore tight end? Like he was an Oklahoma guy, right? Like if I'm not mistaken, Lincoln Riley's had some good tight ends before. So I, if you're judging Lincoln Riley based on this one year, I don't know if that would be fair. But uh, any thoughts on the tight end usage, coach? Well, I think we discussed this earlier in the show. Uh, a tight end is something that's so important. You watch any great play, just watch the game against Utah, and, use, and that'll tell you how you utilize a tight end. I mean, Utah's tight end beat USC. Okay, so, you know, you can utilize a tight end because when you have great receivers and you don't have a tight end to utilize your slot receiver, your tight end, they can double up and do a lot of different things with your, uh, your quicker and your receivers that are out there. But when you have a big tight end like Notre Dame does and these other schools have. It's just a mismatch. It's just a mismatch. And you got to utilize them in the middle and slide to the open areas and run draws and do the not draws, but I run drop, drop, uh, drop, uh, fake draw and passes to the tight end, pop passes to the tight end, uh, seam routes to the tight end, uh, drag routes to the tight end, all these different things, corner routes to the tight end. And then, you know, occupy the safety so the safety can't get over there and double-team your split receivers. So, yes, I agree. A tight end is something that's so important to the offense. And uh, Lincoln Riley has his philosophy. And, of course, I know he would love to have a great tight end. But the number one thing we talked about earlier, you've got to convince a great tight end to come to USC because you haven't done that. And until you do that and you that kid believes you it's difficult to get one yeah well it was mark andrews was at oklahoma i believe his whole or at least his last three years two years lincoln riley was offensive coordinator and then his final year lincoln riley was the head coach so it's not like he avoids the tight end but they didn't really have a lot of you know they had some moments like we saw some tight end touchdowns but it wasn't a consistent part of the offense for sure so um but just you know, just to let Dave know it's not like 
Lincoln Riley's never used one. They've got you know one of the best tight ends in the NFL played for him. So we got one last one from Dan, class of 62. He says, I want to take this opportunity to thank both of you for making USC football special for me this year. Being able to post questions and make comments regarding the USC football season made the games that much more enjoyable because you could never improve well, introspection and evolution. This opportunity that you give us USC fans is similar to the enjoyment that I get texting with my sons, Tim and John, during the games. As a 60-year alum of USC, I'm filled with gratitude for the pleasure that I get from our Trojans in all sports, especially football. Thank you both for all you do and for Trojan fans. Fight on and win in 2023, Dan, class of 62. That was nice, Dan. Dan, that's very nice of you, isn't it? That's very nice of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It makes it worthwhile for us to do this show when we get those type of comments. Believe me. And remember, it's just our opinion, and uh, we agree with your opinions. Ryan doesn't work. Ryan works hard, guys. I want you to know he works hard uh, to bring this to you. It's not as easy as people think. And and I'm just uh, pr- uh, glad to be in the huddle with all of you, okay? We're all in the huddle. And I, as I always tell you guys, game day is every day. And uh, I always say have a winning day because that's what it, that's what it's all about. You learn that from competing. So, uh, Ryan, I want to thank you. I want to thank everybody out there. And, again, uh, I want to wish you all. I know it's a little bit late. We're in February almost. But a happy new year, and let's look forward to the 2023 season. Certainly well, Coach. It's great. a pleasure to be in the huddle with you and a pleasure with the, all the listeners out there. We thank you for the emails, the texts, the calls, the tweets, the posts on the message board, and all of that. Don't forget. Go over to uscfootball.com if you want to get 75% off for the day only, uh, our annual subscription. Get the best USC coverage out on the web for 75% off. For the coach, Harvey Hyde, I am Ryan Abraham. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.